Serving 10, must win by two points. It is absolute pandemonium here. I will be the greatest player to ever play the game. Anybody who won't die for it shouldn't be, shouldn't on the be court. playing shouldn't the racket. Get that ball. Get the ball. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Racquetball Show podcast. In this episode, we're going to get into Prigo's lessons learned as a first-time tournament director, the three keys to a great swing, our take on the two tours, the WRT and the IRT, an interview with Daniel De La Rosa, where we get into such fun topics as his fame in Mexico, his training habits, other sports that he's played, his workout routine, his thoughts on his future in racquetball, and who he thinks will be the future number one player. Enjoy. Okay, so now we're going to start our news segment, and we kind of like to get into topics here, and we like them to be either recent events or just things that we think would help the racquetball community at large. And the first thing we have today is Prigo actually ran a tournament recently, the Bridgetown Classic in Oregon. Calling your first tournament a classic is, you know, a bold move, but I love it. Uh, it's like a rapper. <laughs> and debut album. Debut album. And we want Prigo to give the people some advice. If you're a first-time tournament director, what should you know about running a tournament? <laughs> well, I really highly recommend approaching it like you would approach a party. So I've definitely not run a tournament before, but I've had you know, like dinner parties and I've entertained people and I enjoy it. Uh, so I think that having a tournament, that was like the goal for me is like make it entertaining, make it fun and try to make it inclusive. Um, I wasn't in it to have a huge like tournament, just like a one and done thing. I want to have something that's able to continue on. Now I have no like funding outside of the community. So I figured people really need to fall in love with this idea of having a cheap tournament with like a lot of, you know, a lot of good atmosphere basically. Um, and they'll kind of fund that to perpetuate it. So that was kind of my philosophy coming into the, the planning of it. Yeah. I would say I noticed you ran it more like a party planner or an event planner more so than a, I'm going to get all the technical details of this, right. And, um, it wasn't it wasn't super transactional, whereas I've heard people say that oftentimes tournaments feel like I'm paying fifty dollars, I should get X, Y, and Z. It was you know, I'm paying my money for the tournament and I want a great event. I just want to have a lot of fun at this tournament. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean you have to work in your lane with what you can do. But I will say that if you have one or two other people that are like minded and are willing to join your team and share the responsibilities of putting this event on, then it's really not that challenging. I mean, it takes a lot of dedication and hard work, but it's totally doable. Um, but I think that's key to have a team uh, because alone your judgment's not always going to be perfect and you're going to get overwhelmed. Um, so having people share the responsibility that also kind of want to do the same thing as you, um, I think that's key. What would you say the overall workload was? How much time do you say you put into running the whole tournament? Um, I would say probably about 30 hours, I would say. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I had 
some pretty successful negotiations early on with local businesses that were able to sponsor me. Um, but yeah, I would say about 30 hours now, but that's shared, you know, between two to three other people as well. So, you know, maybe we're now working in the 60 to 90 hour range yeah, for so total you hours. Need a, you definitely need a team to do it. Going in as a lone yeah. wolf, it's hard. Yeah, because I mean, it's like you have to worry about all this stuff. And most tournament directors just don't have time to worry about some of the extra stuff. But I wanted to throw a party. So for me, it was like, it was like me and my team is like, let's keep the cost low. Let's have a DJ. Let's have some food. Let's have like, you know, beer and wine and have like giveaways between matches and during timeouts on the main court and have like an announcer. It's like, it's, it, it seems like a lot, but there's people like in the community of your club, I'm sure, that want to do this. Like this is all out of a club. This is all just built on a community of people that I see every day. Like, hey, will you do this or will you <laughs> be the DJ? And someone says yes. So, yeah, I think that's kind of the one of the big benefits of racquetball is there is a community around you. Yeah, Definitely a, couple things, a couple things I noticed is you – called on a fair amount of people and they were happy and excited to jump in and help and offer their services. Like you knew a guy who happened to know how to DJ and he came in and DJed, I think for free, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did. He did do it for free. I yeah. think, yeah. I, I just think that oftentimes it can be an overwhelming experience, but if you turn to the community and kind of make it more, um, more responsibility shared, especially with like just people that you know and that would also have a good time doing this you know that really reflects yeah the things i noticed i would say are that if you're a first time tournament director don't let all these hurdles stop you just it sounds overwhelming it sounds like a fair amount of work but i think it everything is you can work through it and if you put together just the bare bones of a tournament people are still going to love it people are going to be happy you put on an event so don't let the difficulties stop you from putting on a great event. Yeah, we can talk more about running tournaments. There's 101 tips to give, but you know, for now, that's kind of like the basic framework. Come into running a tournament knowing that it's totally doable and that have a if you have a good team that wants to have a fun party, people are going to get behind you and it's going to go on for years to come. Yeah, great stuff. You put on a great event and I think a lot of people are pumped to go to it. All right, yeah. so the next topic I want to get into, and this is broad, but I just wanted to get into just the general state of racquetball, where we feel like it's at. And I think probably the biggest topic I think is on a lot of people's minds and is really interesting to talk about is having two tours. So obviously yeah. you have the IRT and the WRT, and they're competing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, this I just want to quickly give an overview, like – not necessarily the dawn of man, but the just, you know, <laughs> starting from the beginning is at the very base level, there's like racquetball played in clubs, you know, like LA fitnesses and private clubs across the country. There's leagues and whatnot. And above that is like, you know, state and regional tournaments that happen. These organizations plan these events. And then above that, there's, you know, professional racquetball. And there being two tours, which if you know anything about racquetball, you know that there are two competing men's pro tours. It's kind of the uh, hot topic of the day because 
it's the first time there has been any sort of competition for that since maybe ever. Is that right? I think so. I don't know. Yeah, so it could be the first time ever that there's a competing men's tour and people are waiting to, I guess, find out if it's good or bad. So I've heard a lot of negative opinions about this, that it's a problem for the sport as a whole, that there are two competing tours and it doesn't allow our sport to showcase all the best athletes in one event. And I guess my take on it is that I think it'd be great if every event had all of the top players because right now I think if you combined them, the draws would be so much deeper and so much better. But at the same time, I mean, the money just isn't there where you can have a draw that big um, with that many players, that kind of depth. So I think it's kind of a either a necessity to have two tours or I just don't think that if you got rid of the WRT today that all of a sudden the IRT is uh, significantly better. I think the money wouldn't be that mm. much more for the IRT players and then you wouldn't get all of the players that you think you might get if there's just one tour. Yeah. there's. I mean, competition in the marketplace could be a good thing. I think having two tours is more events, meaning more people are exposed to professional racquetball, perhaps. Um, but you know, you can't help but to see the resources being spent on both sides and wonder what events would be like if those were combined, you know, um, what, you know, see, I'm not entirely familiar with everything that goes on with the financing of each event, but I feel like a lot of it is the individual city puts forth an amount of money. That's honestly kind of, it's a stretch for that city to get as it is. So if I'm Portland, Oregon, or if I'm Atlanta, Georgia, or who knows where else, that city has to get donors and sponsors and uh, ent tournament entries, and it uses that money to build the event. I think like yeah. the fact that there's another tour doesn't really affect that. They still have to scrounge together that money, and they're not yeah. all of a sudden going to scrounge together double the money if the WRT ceases to exist or vice versa. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if if tournaments are run, I guess that's one of the risks of having regional events is because if you depend on sponsors of the place and you see that pool as limited, then I guess it wouldn't really matter. Uh, but that kind of assumes that maybe there's X total quantity of money available per event. Now, I don't know if combining forces would result in more people getting more sponsorships, therefore more money, or if they would just kind of bottom out because there's only so much money to be had. But, you know, that aside, you look at the differences in both tours and you kind of compare them and you say what's good about this tour or what's going good with the other tour. Um, so there's, there's, there's pros and cons to both, and those are definitely on display. And yeah, I think that's well. That topic will go on for some time. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, this is a podcast, and we like to give the people our opinions. So, Prigo, <laughs> is it a good thing or a bad thing? Let me hear. Well, it. I think that it's a good thing because it may have probably. You know, who knows? I'm not saying that they should always stay separate, but if they become one because there were two, then hey, maybe it's worth it. Like maybe this two tours is a significant action in the history of racquetball that's going to propel the next event forward. 
So I think activity and bold action like that in the racquetball community is essentially a good thing. Yeah, I'm optimistic about it as well. So I think I'm going to go good thing as well. It's a good thing. So uh, yeah, nice. I think I, think the I didn't know if I had the right answer, but when you said that, I was relieved. Yeah, now you I know got the it. right answer. <laughs> no, but I I think having one tour having a monopoly doesn't force it to get significantly better. And I think the IRT may have been stagnant for a while. Um, the the on the tour the on the court product is like without argument it's better in the IRT. Um, yeah. WRT I think has done a lot of things event wise that have been innovative and have helped hopefully craft what the IRT can do going forward. Um, and I have I have high hopes for both tours going forward. And you know what? Yeah. Whatever their future is, I think it's a good thing that there are now two tours, and that that will be those competing forces will force each other to get better and better. True, and be on the lookout. I hear rumblings of a potential third tour. Oh. The yeah. Prigo tour? It's, yeah. Sponsored by Dunlop. They're coming oh. back. <laughs> Spalding. Yeah, it's a Spalding Dunlop affair. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to the two tour. I hear there's going to be three on three. <laughs> So now it's time for our instructional segment, and today's concept is we're going to be getting into the three keys to a good swing. So what are the elements of a good racquetball swing, and what can you do to develop a good swing for yourself? I'm a former baseball player, and there are certain variables to swing mechanics that baseball players focus on in order to improve. Baseball is a very statistics-driven game. For instance, in the book and movie Moneyball, Billy Bean, or Brad Pitt in the movie, Realizes that certain statistics matter much more than others. Specifically, he realized that on-base percentage and slugging percentage were the two key stats that could best predict a player's value. Other stats just weren't as good, at predicting value at least. And as far as baseball swing mechanics go, uh, there are key stats that matter much more than others. While there are a million variables to a baseball swing, two matter more than the rest. Swing speed and swing trajectory. You want to have a fast swing with a bat path that matches the path of the ball as closely as possible. In other words, if the ball is coming in at a downward 10-degree angle, you want your swing to come out at an upward 10-degree angle so that they're aligned on the path as closely as possible. And if you can improve on just these two variables, you're going to vastly improve your batting abilities. So when it comes to the racquetball swing, we want you to think of these few variables in a very similar way. The ones that are the most important. What are the few keys to a racquetball swing that matter the most? If you get these few things right, you will have a dominant swing. Well, there are three keys, at least in my opinion, to a great racquetball swing. It must be low, it must be flat, and it must be hard. Today we're going to break down those elements for you to help you understand how to develop great swing mechanics. In this episode, we're going to give you a high-level look at what makes a great swing. It won't be a comprehensive look at every possible component to hitting a ball well, but it should be a good starting point that lays the foundation for what good swing mechanics should involve. So the first two keys, a low swing and a flat swing, they go hand in hand. Having a low flat swing is one of the most dangerous tools a player can possess. If your swing is low and flat, you are hitting the ball in such a way that the ball has to hit the front wall low. And hitting the ball low is the name of the game in racquetball. The lower you hit the ball, the better you are as a player, generally speaking. 
Similar to swing trajectory in baseball, if the path of your racket is correct, you give yourself a much, much better chance to hit a strong shot. So we talked about this in the first episode, but it bears repeating. In order for you to hit the ball low, you must let the ball get low. That sounds obvious, but players are constantly striking the ball waist high or even chest high and sacrificing their chances of hitting a low shot in the process. You need to move your feet to get into a position where the ball has dropped to knee height or even lower. To be clear, when we talk about a low, flat swing, we're purely talking about the path of your racket once the racket reaches the hitting plane. Obviously, your swing can and should start higher than that location when you strike the ball. But if you can make it so that once your racket is at ball height, it stays on a low, flat trajectory for a long distance, your margin of error is way higher. You can accidentally strike the ball a bit farther back or a bit farther forward in your swing than intended, and you'll still hit a low shot. That's not the case if you don't have a flat trajectory. Another way to think about this is the following. Your racket should remain perpendicular to the ground throughout your swing. At any point in your swing, you should be able to freeze, and if your racket dropped directly downward when I took a picture of it, uh, the frame and string bed would be at a 90-degree angle to the floor. Now, the final key is having a hard swing. What does that mean, and why is it important? Well, a hard swing means you're delivering more power into the ball. The racket impacts the ball at a high velocity, and therefore the ball exits your racket at a high velocity. While it can be argued that power isn't necessary to have a great all-around game, it's undeniable that it's better to have more power. Opponents have less time to react to your shots, so pass shots go by them quicker, and they have less time to think when they're jammed. A myth about developing a hard, powerful swing is that it requires serious strength gains or that it necessitates a decrease in accuracy. If you do this right, you can absolutely develop power without bulking up and while still being super accurate. Having power is largely about swing mechanics. Specifically, here are a few things you can do mechanically in order to boost or increase your power. Far too often you see players, especially those with strong upper bodies, try to muscle the ball for power. They use almost nothing but their arm. Also, you hear people advocate for the wrist snap as the key to power. The truth is, while those things are important, power is built from the ground up. It's a kinetic chain of movement from your legs through your core, through your arm, and finally delivering the wrist snap to the ball. The wrist snap isn't the driver of your power, it's just the last link in the kinetic chain. So power is generated through hip torque, weight transfer, and efficiency of movement. Players should not try to become powerful by lifting weights. While it might help, spending time practicing with a focus on great mechanics is going to give you way more bang for your buck than focusing on muscle mass or anything like that. We'll get more precise with each of these concepts in future episodes. Each of these elements of the game are super intricate and can be expanded on significantly. The hope is to give you guys a great understanding of the fundamentals of the game. If you get these right, you will kill it on the court. So there you have it. If you want to have a great swing, make sure it's flat, low, and hard. When you're practicing, reflect on each and every swing. Ask yourself, was my swing flat? Was it low? Was it hard? If not, why not? How could it be better? Look at it on tape. Uh, all these things can help you get better, but if you're not self-aware about what your swing abilities are right now and how they can be improved, you're just going to stay stagnant. Elon Musk, the famous founder and CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, 
stated that he believes the key to success is to always reflect on how you did things and ask, how could I have done that better? And then improve the next time. If you apply that to your racquetball game and to life, you'll go far. Good luck out there. And now our interview with number three player in the world, Daniel De La Rosa. Daniel, a lot has happened for you lately. Uh, you just finished another great season. You finished as the third-ranked player on the IRT, so mm-hmm. congrats on that. And you just became a father, so congrats on that as well. Thank uh, you. How, how have you been lately? How are you feeling? You know what? It's been like finished the season number three, and even I missed the last tournament in Florida because my wife get a little bit sick, and I can't. We just had a baby like two weeks before that tournament, and I couldn't leave her alone, you know? It's like the first thing I have to do is support support my family. It's always going to be the first thing I'm going to do before racquetball. But before, like, it was all my life, it was racquetball before I met my, my wife and, of course, my, my baby. So now it's like I have to put my family first for racquetball. But, yeah, I finished number three, and uh, I was really close to pass Rocky, but I was like, oh, I missed some tournaments. and But... It's okay. Uh, next season, I'm going to come up a little bit stronger. And uh, right now, I'm like just taking a break from racquetball. I'm going to start training for uh, for the season. But yeah, I feel my life has been it's been great. I see that you're wearing what looks to be golf attire. Do you play a lot of golf? Yeah, actually, yeah, I do. It helps me a lot with, uh, you know, it helps me out to be outside the racquetball court, you know. So be outside that room be on the golf course, it's almost, uh, it helps me, uh, the golf game, it helps me out to racquetball to focus more on my shots because, you know, even the ball doesn't move in the golf, but it's still, it's a tough sport. But yeah, basically I've been playing a lot of golf. I've been doing really, really good recently. So what is, what is your day? What does a day on the golf course look like on the scorecard for you? Well, I'm always right now, like for the example, I just finished my round. I just finished two over. So I should uh, 70, 74. Then the last time I was 77. So it's it's been really, really good. Like low, low uh, 70s. Yeah, low 70s most of the time. That's very impressive, man. That's, yeah. I probably am lucky to break 100. So good <laughs> <Yeah>. for you. <laughs> it's fun. We have all kind of friends. You know, when I go golfing, I know that I have to I have uh, friends that are take it really serious. They do want to play for money, and I have another ones that just want to have fun and drink beer. So it's, I'm in those two. Like, okay, this time I'm going to play with them because I want to like challenge myself. I have to play with the good ones. And they're nah, just going to have fun. I'm going to have one beer, two beers, and, and just enjoy it. So it's, it's kind of fun. I like, I like the yeah, sport, too. Yeah, it's hard not to enjoy yourself out on the golf course. So yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's, you, yeah. you play... Are racquetball and golf the main sports that you play? I played pickleball with you, and you're really good at that. Do you play a lot of other sports? I do play once in a while. I play once a week. We, Michelle and I, we try we try to play once a week pickleball. Pickleball is a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, it's it's something because we we is like more like tennis but ping pong at the same time. You know, it's like two different sports in one. And it's fun. I love it. You're really good, dude. And I, I was like impressed. Like, oh dude, my god, oh, not as good as you. Good. So, <laughs> no, dude, you played really good for me a first time. Yeah. <laughs> for you, for... Uh, I saw you kick the racquetball uh, in the court a few times and then continue to juggle it. <laughs> Do you play soccer as well? I used to. I used to play soccer when I was in Mexico. We all my friends. 
uh, I play all the sports, you know. I've been like really active when I was younger. Ah. <laughs> when did you think to yourself, or when did your family think that? All right, let's pursue racquetball seriously. For yeah, I was I was playing both at the same time. I was playing soccer and racquetball at the same time when I was like maybe like twelve, twelve years old. I was like both of them, and I was missing some racquetball training because I was training racquetball, some soccer training because I was playing racquetball. But even on the weekends, my coach is like, you know what? We need you here on the team. You should come over and play, no matter if you show up at the training. So, all right, I'll show up, and we're still, we're still playing soccer and all stuff. But when I decided to play raccoons, like, when I started getting good at it, like, okay, let's do it. I won my first national world champion in, uh, in San Luis in 2004. And, yeah, in San Luis. So I won two golds, and then it was in Juarez, and then I go to Arizona, and I said, you know what, I'm done. And then Dylan beat me in Bolivia. He <laughs> actually beat Bolivia. So it was pretty cool. It was a it was a fun experience. I said, you know what? I'm gonna take it more seriously. And I just quit soccer to play just full time racquetball. I appreciate you bringing that up. That's it's been, it was my claim to fame for a while. Like <laughs> I was one and zero against the great Daniel De La Rosa, yeah, and I would play, tell people you that. Great though. That and then like and then I ran into you at the U.S. Open, and now I'm one and one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun though. But yeah, yeah, it was. Junior Worlds in Bolivia. It was kind of it was a shitty, shitty place, but it was a fun tournament. Yeah, that was quite the experience. I think like yeah, over no. half the people got sick of that tournament. Yeah, I one mean, unique, one a unique experience that you have in life. You know that you go into a different country, you get sick. Yeah. So the like Bolivian, one, the Bolivian, the, uh, we had a world, world Junior Championships in uh-huh. Bolivia, and a lot of people got food poisoning just with uh, food being yeah. washed in the local water. Um, I got food poisoning after the tournament, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a crazy tournament. The the Bolivian president spoke at the tournament. Uh the tournament, yeah, it was like big thing. Yeah. It was like holy, like the president was right there. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. So say what you want about people getting sick, but uh-huh. the president spoke at the tournament. That's pretty, yeah. So that's pretty crazy. Big, Trump isn't speaking at our tournaments in America. Nope. What the heck? Even our tournaments, the president of Mexico doesn't speak in our tournaments either. Yeah, you know? unbelievable. Well, that's a, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point because you're now living in the United States and you have your family is here. One thing that I was wondering is what is life in Mexico like for you? Are you a recognized person in your hometown? You know, that's that's actually that's yeah. Sometimes when I go, of course, I know with racquetball it's a little popular because Paola Brina like popular. Uh, the popularity in Mexico is really nice. So, yeah, we actually, we go in and hang out to the mall and say, hey, I recognize that guy. I saw him on TV or whatever. But I'm not like Paola, you know. Paola is more like like Paola, you know. It's a big name. But, yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. With the people, like, maybe, like, one and, like, 200. I'm with the one recognizing me. I'm good. Yeah. You know, I'm good because I want to. The perfect mix of being able yeah. to hang out and. Yeah, I love it. But of course, if you go on a racquetball tournament, of course, all the kids, everybody like recognize you because it's a sport. But yeah, it's it's, it's awesome. I love I love my my lifestyle in Mexico. And that's because St. Louis, I, uh, Potosi, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what's, yeah. What's the racquetball scene like there as opposed to other places in Mexico? Like, oh my god, you have no idea. Like, first of all, to play racquetball, you have to be a member for the gym. You have to have a membership. Mm-hmm. And membership is quite expensive. 
you know, even your parents are paying maybe like $200 a month to enjoy the, the gym. So, but the good thing about it that I don't see right here in the United States is they have, we have so many kids. We teach, we teach kids from four years old to like whatever, whatever age. That's, that's why in Mexico we have so many talents because we started really, really young. So on uh, the gym, I was at La Loma and I was coaching, training people. And honestly, just myself, I have maybe like group for 25 kids between eight years old to 12 years old. I don't want the kids because it's really hard. They all just want to like play with a racket and they don't even care. I want like a little bit more like that I can, I can work with them, you know? Yeah. So, because I don't have the patience for the mm -hmm. kid now. But yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. We have maybe like eighty five kids at four, from four p.m. to six p.m. So it's like, wow. it's quite a quite a kids. And now there's some good yeah. players besides yourself who've come out of there. Is that where? Who else mm -hmm. is from that area? Uh, Paola is from there. Okay. Yep, yep. Paola, Paola is from there. Uh, you know, Gilberto Mejia. Yeah, Gilberto Mejia was, yeah, he's there. He was from there. They have a lot of good players, like Edson Martinez, the guy who I played the US Open with him in doubles. He's yep. from there too. We he trains in different. Well, we have a, so many talents. I don't know if you guys hear about Abraham Pena, Carlos Beckmeister. They're like Pan American doubles champion. So we have a quarter quarter good players from from my city. And you you were uh, able to start playing the tour at a pretty early age. How old were you? I was uh, my first pro event. It was like 15. It was Youth Open. I play. I won my qualifiers and I play against Kane. So it was like everybody's like, "Oh, you're gonna play against Kane? What are you gonna do?" It's like, "What the heck is Kane?" You know? Because <laughs> I don't. I don't pay attention to that. Yeah. It's like I'm just gonna go to the court and show up and play. I don't care about the other place. Like, oh, you're gonna play? Everybody's like, "You're gonna play Kane?" Oh my God! Like, what the heck is Kane? You know, for me, it's like another person until, like, I see him in the corner, like, fuck, I'm screwed, you know? <laughs> but actually, it was, it was, it was not bad, though. I was, like, I was not nervous at all. I was playing good and everything. And when I started playing the full season is when I moved to Arizona. Like, five years ago, when I, when I started dating Michelle, it's like, you know what? You should go. From here, I have the, the money to do it, and I was doing really well. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna start doing full time, so so that's how it comes most of my my life when I move here because for Mexico it's really really expensive to travel, really yeah. really expensive. Yeah, that makes it easier living in Arizona. Yeah. So, with where you're at right now, where do you see the next uh, the next five to ten years going for you? Do you have plans to? Do you think you'll be number one soon? Yeah, my season right now. I'm like I have a for next season i have a goal to finish number two number one i don't care i'm gonna do my best this next season this are coming up and uh if i get to the number one and keep i want to maintain and retire pretty soon you know because i want to like enjoy my family right. i want to be i want to be raylan i don't know i want to teach her i want to spend time with her i don't i don't want to be like Maybe like Alvaro, like Clip Swain, like all those guys, like stop playing. And so, like, I don't want to be that kind of guy. I want to retire, be number one, and that's it. Well, I just want to, like. What would be next after that? What uh, what other inter what, what interests you outside of racquetball career wise? Well, I'm, I'm probably going to get to the golf more 
more like nice. more into it. I want to start playing more golf into it, and uh, I will see. I want to maybe start playing pickleball more. You know. Yeah. Is golf something? Do you think uh, is that like something you could perhaps make money with? Oh yeah, definitely yes, I can. But I have to like it's the same as racquetball. I have to put my time into it. Right now, I don't have time because I have to hit the ball. It's like racquetball. You have to practice your shots. You have to be consistent. It's the same as golf. You have to be consistent. You have to put the work on it. But yeah, I oh I start working. I was like, it was funny though because for this summer, I was like, you know, I don't have anything else to do. I'm getting boring, and I find a job in a golf shop. Like. Part-time, yeah, what's going on? It's like, you, can I go here? I said, yeah, sure. I just give you my resume. And I was like, oh, you play rock horse? I said, yeah. Sure, let's go. Come on. And I've been working there. I've like two weeks working in the golf shop. And and it's awesome because I'm learning more stuff about golf. I know more people. And it's like, well, this is my place, you know? This is my place. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So you talked a bit about your the way you train. So could you... Take us through what your training regimen looks like. Are you sure. in full training mode now? Have you started training already? Or are you still? Yes, I do. I start training now. Like I, my mornings is like before work. I go maybe like seven a.m. because after nine, right here is really hot. In Arizona in summer, it's really really hot. We are over one hundred and fifteen over nine a.m. Wow. After nine a.m., but it's hot. So basically, yeah, I just go and run outside and just keep in shape and everything. And then come back, stretch, and take care of the baby and go to work. And after work, I have to take care of the baby a little bit and then put it to bed and then go to the gym and hit and hit and do weights. And I don't do a lot of weights. I don't like to do a lot of weights. I just do like a little bit to make my, my, my muscles a little bit stronger. But basically, it's like I don't know what my, my training is going to be. Daryl is the one who takes care of all the all that stuff like he don't he is also my coach and my personal trainer yeah he is he he's a retired marine so he knows a lot of exercise with just upper body without using weights so yeah i don't know what's gonna do one day it's like he gonna take me running right here like maybe like a mile two miles and it's like okay you see that bench jump so what jump (laughs) and she make me jumping right then so keep going yeah, it's funny. One time we were practicing, we were running and everything, and he was riding the bike, and I have to go into it with him and the bike and all this stuff. And then we finished training, like maybe like three miles, three and a half miles from my house, and Michelle show up, and it's like, oh, God, thank you. <laughs> and she show up in the car and said, oh, yeah, I'm going to drive the car. I said, what are you doing? I'm going to jump in the car. No, you're riding the bike on the, all the way to back home. And it's like, are you kidding? No. I'm not kidding. You're going to ride a bike. <laughs> so I'm going right there on the bike, three and a half miles after I'm done with training. So, And then we don't come straight to the house. He takes me rock climbing. <laughs> he actually takes like, what? I'm dead. I don't care. You don't use your arms. Oh, my God. So it's fun. He makes it fun for me, you know. He don't, he don't, he don't take me to, to the gym and do weights, all, all right, that kind of right. stuff. He keeps me outside and, That's awesome. and a lot of fun. That's fun awesome. things yeah one thing i was thinking of is you know me and dylan are both young youngish mm-hmm. racquetball players and yeah one thing that i think i sometimes have trouble with is like i want to stay on like a good regiment but also yeah. my friends are not racquetball mm-hmm. players so they want to like go out to the bars or have go get ice cream late night is it hard to say hey guys sorry i can't go out to the bar tonight i can't go party 
I can't do this or that because I got to train. Yeah, it's, it's in Mexico. When I was in Mexico, yes, I miss a lot of parties. One of my best friends parties and all the stuff because I have to like train on Saturdays. I still have to train on Saturdays. And I know I'm going to like, you know, if you train one week, you can like screw the entire training with one night. You know, yeah. one night can go everything to to the trash. Totally. But but yeah, right now it's like I wish I can have that time to go to parties and all the stuff, but I can't anymore. I have to like take care of my baby. Right. You know, I'm not thinking more than training. I'm just like, oh, I have to take care of the baby. But yeah, it's definitely it's. But when I go party, it's like I'm going party. I have <laughs> have the time. I go to party. I don't care. But yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I guess the key distinction is we're young people who uh, go out, but he's he's a dad now. He can't be doing that stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's kind of cool. <laughs> so what, for you, what is a bigger part of training? What's a bigger part of your focus? Is it the conditioning aspect or is it the hitting and the mechanics aspect? Well, we've been, we, I've been struggling a lot in the past tournaments because of my cardio. I've been losing a lot of matches because I was getting tired. And because I was playing Rocky in the semifinals too often. And sometimes when I beat him, it requires half more than 100% to play the same day against Kane. You know, so it's, it's, it's uh, the time that I have, I beat Rocky, but I'm like, I'm all tired. I just have three hours to recover it. And I couldn't, I couldn't recover it that fast. So most of it, we are like focused right now. Now there's off season. We focus more in like my, take my cardio in better shape or be in better shape for, for that tournament for for uh for how more resistant you know for yeah for keep the rhythm my same my same rhythm over and over and over my mechanics is like anybody else like honestly it's like of course i have to practice it but you have already the muscle memory you know your muscle memory is gonna go through it uh it, of course it's not gonna go like right if i stop playing like two months and I'm gonna play tomorrow. Of right. course, I'm not gonna be the same. You know, I'm gonna go like a little bit off. My timing is gonna be a little bit off. But yeah, it's most likely right now we focus right now my, more my cardio than the, my 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 mechanics and shot selection. Yeah, that makes sense. And I I think you have some of the best mechanics in the game. Some of the thank prettiest you. looking, at least. Yeah, thank so you. Uh, maybe you thank don't even need to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We we definitely uh, Charlie was here uh, in our last episode and. One of the interesting mm-hmm. questions we asked him is, you know, he's getting towards maybe towards the, you know, moonlight of his career. And we asked him who the future number one player might be after Kane. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe we'll ask you the same question. But I wanted to ask you first, who's your favorite player to watch? I can say personally, just as a fan, I love sitting down with my beer at the tournament and watching Jimmy Lowe play. That's, fav- that's fun for me. Who would yeah, it is fun. like to watch? To watch play, uh, it's a hard. This is hard. I like to watch everybody like B and A players. Yeah. It's, it sounds like <laughs> funny, but I love it. I love to watch the amateur side because they keep the ball like higher. They, the rallies get longer, and they you don't even know who's gonna die first on that court because all the shots they like through his uh, through his. Uh, head and all the overhead and shots that you didn't even see before and it's like man this is fun i have a lot of fun watching the amateur side that's why most of my i don't watch the process much 
But yes, most I'm going to like amateur side. Wow, interesting answer. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you had one piece of advice for a beginner or an intermediate player who wants to improve their game, just one piece of advice, mm-hmm. what would it be for that person? Be uh, patient. That's the that's the key for this sport or any other sport. Have patience because I see a lot of the kids right here. I have a, I'm helping a one guy. He's like 15 years old, and he tried like he's he tr- he's really hard on himself. Like he think he's gonna oh I have to do this right. I have to just like you need you need to have patience, man. Because I don't come to pro like in like two days. You know, <laughs> it takes me like I've been playing for 20 20 years racquetball. 20 years. So it takes me time, and I'm still learning more stuff. Every day that I'm on the court with my coach and watching videos, I'm still learning new stuff every single time. I like that. So mm-hmm. Tim alluded to we might ask you who you think the next number one is. I'll just go ahead and ask mm-hmm. you, who do you think will be the next number one player? After Kane? Yeah. Who knows? We will see next season. Who who, who do you think? <laughs> I'm not gonna answer. I'm gonna let you guys see it. Okay, fair enough. How about if it couldn't if it couldn't be Daniel De La Rosa, who would it be? Well, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. After your career is over, who are some of the who are some of the junior players that you're like this person can be really good? Do you see any juniors out there now? And you're like, oh, there's like, wow. so many. It's so many juniors. You know, it's like you've been seeing a lot of, especially from Bolivia, at least a poor country. We know it's a poor country. Some of the players they have to immigrate, uh, go to Argentina to represent a different country. But you see so many kids, so many talents. The same as Mexico, they have so many talents that you never know. Like maybe can come up maybe in like two years, one of the young players, maybe like 16, 17 years old, and just like a freaking machine. You never know. I can maybe I didn't even know if I'm gonna be the next number one or not. You know. So every year it gets harder and harder and harder to find out who the next number one is going to be. So what I'm keeping in mind is just like pushing myself a little bit more that I have to, you know. So I have to push more and more and more or work out the double that I used to do to be number one. That's great. I love it. And you yep. yourself and we – you want to stay away from the whole IRT, WRT, but there's a lot of tournaments out there between international events, pro events, and even I assume you probably even play some local tournaments mm-hmm. as well. Um, do you think that with the change of management of the IRT, that perhaps the season will look different for you than the last couple seasons? Well, it seems like we're getting like I've been deal. I've been talking with John Scott. Uh, more after he bought his stuff at uh, the IRT. He's a new commissioner at IRT. And he say it's going to be more tournaments. So a lot of people say that, you know. A lot of people say, ah, we're going to have more tournaments this year and we're going to have more more things for the, play, for the players, more marketing, more stuff, and we never see it, you know. They, it's easy to put, like, a date in a website, the day in the place, but after that, it's like, well, what am I gonna do? Like, what happens with Portland with the tournament in Portland? I already got my ticket, I already got my hotel, and everything. And like, 
three, like maybe a month before, it's like, oh, it's not going to happen anymore. What? I already have everything. Yeah. It's like, well, I have to cancel it and I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to. So who knows? And I don't know John Scott really well, but it seems like he's going to do a little bit better for the players, not for the business. But everybody say that on the beginning. So until we see it, yeah. what's going to happen with ART, yeah. Yeah, I hope things go well. And for those who don't know, there was supposed to be a tournament in Portland in May, mm -hmm. and it unfortunately got canceled sort of last yep. minute. Um, it which is rescheduled next. It is rescheduled, so it'll be December next year, or December, this year. This year, yeah. yeah. Which is my favorite tournament. I love it. I love tournament. I love Portland. It's so nice. I yeah. see the rain too much. Like, I don't have to deal with the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, let's, let's talk about that. So you're... An extremely exciting player. I know that you have a lot of fans in the racquetball world for numerous reasons. Great athlete, but you also have like a certain charisma on the court. And I remember watching you a few years ago play, maybe two years ago, play Kane in Portland. And that was, it was packed in there. I mean, we probably had 400 people. I don't know. I had to play during it. I was pissed. <laughs> Anyways, so do you really enjoy that? Of course. I I try when I'm like, you know what? The first thing we do is like when we get on the court, when you know they, they you tired, you know a hundred percent, you just want to do a show for the people, you know. You just thinking of them. Mm. Of course, I have to think myself. Don't get hurt, right. because before I used to be like, oh, I was diving all over the place and I was hurting myself. I was beat up my my body so bad that I was pain. I was pain for the next day. So it's like, you know what, I'm just going to, we were working on then take care of my body and like have a little bit more like don't dive as much. But that's what the people like, you know, people like the show. Right. Even when you come and say something to the player and you guys start arguing, it's something exciting for the people. It's like, oh, they're getting into it and all the stuff, mm -hmm. you know, because that happens to me in Kenya years ago. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. We get into it and all the stuff, but it's... It's something exciting that you put like a little bit more like the chair on the on the cake, you know, like yeah, a little bit and extra. You be completely at ease on the court. You don't seem like you get rattled by pressure easily. Do you? No. Do you enjoy having all, a lot of people watch? I do. I totally do. I'm a showman. I like uh -huh. to show. I like to show some stuff. You know, I like to like people. Oh, <laughs> it's gonna come weird, but I like the people. I like to be the center attention i like to be that one i like to be oh he do a, like amazing shot and all that i like because i do it every time i i see it, i do it in the golf course i do it in the in pickleball i do it everywhere <laughs> so that's that's how i am you know i grew up the same way so i the people like it so it's thing that are like i'm not gonna change you know what what i'm gonna change something that is people loving it and and it works i think that's a great you know, advertisement for a sponsor, you know? Mm -hmm. It is true, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, the new IRT and that will we'll do right by people like you because you obviously have a, a personality that is great for the sport. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, I think it's a marketable thing. I think I like watching you play. I know Tim does. Thanks. You're fun to watch. I think people thank should you. enjoy watching you guys play more and more. I remember yeah, I the, the late Russ Menino. Uh, who was the IRT commentator for a while before he passed, so, uh, always said you had that Magic Johnson smile. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah, he, said, he told me that. He, he, said, he that. told me that. It was, it was awesome because, 
You know what? Even in the back calls, I get angry, but it's like, oh, smiling and forget about it. You know, it's like, my, uh, forget about my it. My girlfriend comes with me to many of these racquetball tournaments, and, and she doesn't play. She sometimes gets bored at the tournaments, uh-huh. but she, you're her favorite player by far. She's like, I really like that guy, De La Rosa. She <laughs> loves watching you, and she doesn't even like watching me that much. <laughs> yeah, so so what Tim's trying to say is stop going after his girl, man. Take it easy. Uh, I will. I will. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I, I really like. It. I, I Even when I'm in the core and somebody's there, like, somebody's smiling at me, like, uh, uh, whatever, a player, a, a father, whatever who's watching, I still give you the smile back, you know? It's like, like, I'm getting to the people, too, because it's like, I don't want to be that kind of arrogant player, you know? I don't want to be like, ah, don't talk to me. Why are you looking at me? Why, like, you're smiling at me? Like, I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to, like, do more for the sport and for the people. That's what I want to do. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think people may or may not realize this, but you guys are really approachable. So, especially at tournaments, you know, there there are a lot of people there, but there aren't a ton, so... Just mm-hmm. going up and talking to you guys, like it seems yeah. scary to talk to the pros, but you guys are approachable. You guys are like fun and will chat to just about anybody who comes up and has a conversation with you. Yeah, it is awesome because actually two years ago, it's the same way. I was sit, I sit and I was watching. Who was watching? I was watching somebody, Dean, one of my friends. I was watching him. He was in the main court, you know, it's like glass. And I sit down and, and like in the bench on the side. And it was this dad like taking a picture without telling me like this, like taking a selfie. And I, I look for the mirror, for the glass, and I say, his reflection is like, hey, you should ask me. It's not a problem. I'm right here. Are you seriously? Yeah, come on. Come and sit down with me. And we start talking after he takes a selfie. We start talking. And I was like, oh, man, thank you. I wish a lot of players do this one. And it's like, you know what? Look at it. I'm watching my friend. It's like, I'm not like, I'm going to be here for the people, too. If you want to come over and talk to me, I will give you the conversation. You know, I will keep the conversation with you. So it's no, I don't, I don't mind being bothered. Yeah, I like it. Yep. Another question. So what is life like on the IRT? And especially what was it like being on the IRT tour? What was tour life like at such a young age? Because you started at what, 18? Uh, I started when the, my full season was at 18, yeah. So it's been awesome. I've been rooming with Alvaro so much. So we have such a nice, like, He's one of my best buddies. Like, um, we know everything in each other. And, uh, you know, Alvaro. Alvaro likes to, like, he's, like, he was my raw model because I see him. He was, like, so nice with the people as well. Yeah. And he even told me that. Like, you have to be nice with everybody, you know? Like, like you have to, like, socialize with everybody. Like, be respect, respect for the other players and all that stuff. So, yeah, for sure. And I've been, like, rooming from, with him since then. So, I learned a lot of stuff from there too, from him too. So it's awesome. My RT, I can't wait to be on the on the IRT and spend in a hotel with him because we make it fun. It's no matter we are like right there next to each other and we're still texting. Like he's next to me and like, hey, I'm hungry. Like <laughs> you know, it's like he texts me back. Let's go eat. All right, let's go. So it's it's That's funny. Cool. We have a really good relationship. That's really cool that you know he was somewhat of a mentor for you. Yeah. I'm wondering if. You know, when you entered 17, 18 to the IRT, if, as you've gotten better, have people treated you differently, namely the players? Because, you know, Kane, Rocky, Alvaro, but Croft, Jose, 
all those guys may have seen you and they're like, oh, let's let's help this kid out. He's new. But now you're right there. Yeah, now you're a threat. Now it's different. Do you get treated different now? Oh, of course. Everybody, you get like yeah, oh, when you are in the the first year, you get bullying for everybody. I was getting bullied for Ben from everybody, you know, in in the court. I'm talking about the court. Yeah. I'm talking about side. But outside, you're getting like uh, I I wasn't really shy. It's like, well, I should go and talk to him, or I should it, uh-huh. you know. But in the court, yeah, of course, you get bullied as much as like they take advantage of you because like oh, he's new. He doesn't know. He doesn't have the experience. And I know because sometimes I do it with the young kids. It's like, holy shoot. He's faster than me. He hit the hardest than me. He's going to have more endurance endurance than me. Right. Uh, now I should have played the mental game. Yeah. So that's what the Rocky, Alvaro, came. They used to do it to me. And now I'm like, I'm doing it to them. And I do it to the young ones. <laughs> so it's something that I learned really quick. Like, don't be too nice on the court with, with, with them. Like, still, like, be nice, but at the same time, don't be nice. Like, that, that kind of makes sense. Like, yeah. don't be nice, but be nice. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Let's yeah. Maybe be nice off the court, but on yeah. the court, your enemies. You're, yes, because it's my job. Right. So, like, even when I play with Alvaro, it's like, dude, I don't even recognize you. Now, like, we've been playing so many finals, and honestly, it's, it's so funny, though. After that, like, the first final that I played against Hallboro was in Michigan. I don't know if you remember that. It was in, uh, was it in, the, in the Red Swing. Yeah, it was the finals. Okay. He, beat four. he beat me in four and everything. I was chill and all stuff. We went to some beers after that and whatever. He was so happy and everything because it was his first tournament. And then the next one, I beat him. And he was like, yeah, you got me this time and whatever. And we got some beers. But you can't tell he his face like he was like face down all the time he didn't even talk to me for like maybe for like five minutes ten minutes on the way to the hotel he didn't even talk to me he was so quiet and they're like what's going on over no nothing i'm getting so, dude it was just a game you know it's like it's just a game man it's over you beat me once i beat you one let's go have fun yeah, you're right. And we went for <laughs> So, yeah, he was like a little quiet, but it's like, that's how it is, man. It's just leave it, everything in the core. And after that, you're still like, you're still friends. Yeah, especially with him. I can't see him being yeah. upset for too long. He's such yeah, a happy he, guy. He was. He was like, I was like, impressed. I was like, in the show, I was like look, I was just like mad at me. I think like I should take an Uber or something because he was going to, like, I don't know, Trump, because he was so like quiet. Yeah. Quite the entire way of the hotel. The <laughs> hotel. But yeah, after that we, we just have fun. What have you what have you learned from your relationship with Alvaro? Has he taught you a lot about the game? Oh, of course. He always uh he still told me some of the stuff, like more experience. Now that we play in doubles as much, we play in a lot. He he's like, you know what, you should do this, you should do that. And things he told me a little things that I don't even know that I don't even know it, but it really works. Like a lot of experience that he has in the racquetball, especially in doubles, because for me he's the best right hand doubles player. Yeah, he is the number one. Honestly, nobody's gonna be as quick as his hand. Like his hands are so quick, and he's like, you should do this, you should do this. There's little things that help me out with my doubles game. Singles, it doesn't tell me as much, but doubles, yeah, he's been. I've been learning a lot of stuff from him too. 
That's awesome. Anything specific? Any specific tips that you could help us with? I, I can't say anymore. I can't tell uh, anything. We're <laughs> partners. We, I can't say it to all you. Right, all right. <laughs> I'll have to play with you someday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so how do we tell me how how do I beat Daniel De La Rosa? Uh, we should go have some beers, a party before that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good to know. You should tell me. Yeah, you should tell me. You should tell me. Hey. Yeah, actually, you should tell me. You should take me to the golf course, and now I'll, I'll be forfeited. It's like, oh no, this golf, this course. I like this golf course. I should let them win. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, yeah. IRT players, if you're listening, that's how you get them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is awesome. I saw your. As an aside, I saw your. I really like your logo for your racket, the DLR. Yeah. Is that it's a it's a rose, right? Yeah, it's a rose. It's a July rose. That's my birthday in July. That's the month rose. What day? In the three, four. Oh, in the oh wow. Yeah. So you see the three dots on the bottom of the, my rose? That means my mom, my sister, and my dad. So I I try to keep it like my family into it, you know? So, yeah, it's basically it's, it's really nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really cool design. If you haven't seen it, check out his racket. What what uh, what weight is that? One sixty five momentum. Look at this. Oh, wow. oh there's the little That's baby girl. The baby girl. Yeah. Tell them you're gonna be the next number one in the world, baby. <laughs> and golf. Tell them golf. She gave a big smile. <laughs> she knows. Yeah, she believes in herself. Yeah, she's so. Look at that. I don't know if it's she poops or <laughs> or she's happy. It's one or the other. Yeah. Very cute. Yeah. You dress well too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this is the perfect image to wrap up with. Daniel, yeah. thank you so much for No, thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you for taking the time. And I uh, hope so. I hope uh, the IRT goes really well this season. And I hope to see you guys pretty soon. Hope to see you soon too. Uh, happy yeah. birthday coming up. Thank you. It's Thank July you. 2nd right now, so happy 4th of July, yeah. Independence Day, Thank and you. happy birthday, well. and good luck this season, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, and uh, I can't wait to try that salsa that you told me, Tim. Oh, yeah. Please come down. When you're in Portland, I'll take you to my restaurant. Or my I like it. I yeah, like St. Burrito. Everybody Burrito. check out the food cart. Yeah, right. yeah I like plug. it. Thanks so much, man. We'll I have a I have a lot of a lot of spots on my shirt for you if you want to sponsor, you know? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right, Daniel. Thanks so much, man. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. All right. Bye, man. Bye. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to episode two. Unfortunately, we do not have a mailbag segment this time, but it's something we want to do going forward. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask Tim or myself um, for us to answer on the show, please send them to us via email at Dylan at racquetballshow.com. That's D-Y-L-A-N at racquetballshow.com. Or Facebook message either me, Dylan Reed, or Tim Prigo. Thank you so much for listening.